This is KMTT. Tuesday, Parshat HaShavua, will be delivered by Rav Alex Israel. This week we open a new book of the Torah, Sefer Devarim. And if we want to be more accurate, uh, Devarim isn't just things or words, but it is the words of a particular person. Ela HaDvarim Asher Diber Moshe El Kol Yisrael Bamidbar, Ba'arava, etc., etc. These are the words which Moshe spoke to Bnei Yisrael. In other words, when we look at the book of Tvarim, our impression is that this is a speech. These are the words of Moshe Rabbeinu, these are the words of Moses. What I would like to do in the first few minutes to get together is to frame this book a little bit and understand what its purpose is. Some people look at Sefer Devarim and they remember the traditional rabbinic name Mishneh Torah, which by the way is uh, found in the Latin translation Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is law and Deu is two and Mishneh Torah, the repetition of Torah. And if you ask some people, they will tell you that Sefer Tvarim is merely a review or a repetition or a rehashing of what we have seen earlier in the Torah. In certain ways that is true, but in other ways that is entirely wrong. In certain ways it is true because we do see a repetition of of particular events that have taken place earlier in the Torah. For example, we will see uh, the story of the Meraglim, of the twelve spies. In this week's parasha, we see the account of the um, campaign against Og and Sichon in this week's parasha. And all of these stories have been reported earlier in Sefer Bamidbar. Likewise, in next week's parasha, we will hear of the uh, Ten Commandments, which of course were reported back in the book of Shemot. However, it it is definitely true that there are plenty of mitzvot, plenty of laws and also plenty of uh, ideas which are not found elsewhere. Uh, A good example would be the mitzvah to appoint a king, which we don't see anywhere else in the Torah. Um, And plenty of mitzvot later on in the Torah, uh, like like Ben Sorel Morer, which uh, have no equivalent anywhere else in the in, in earlier in the Torah, and therefore, even if we call this Mishneh Torah a review of Torah, it doesn't mean that everything that we're seeing here is merely a repetition, because there are plenty of uh, commandments and practices which have no precedent earlier on in Chamishah Mosheh Torah. So that's the first point about Mishneh Torah. But the second point is that, of course, this is its own book, not only because there are new elements, but because even the old elements are told in a new way. Uh, let me give a couple of illustrations which will carry us through. One of the most famous will relate to the story of the spies, which are told in, in this week's Parshat Shavuah. When we read the story of the spies in Bamidbar, chapter 13, 
it was very clear who sent the spies. There, um, there was a command from God. And God spoke to Moses saying, Send forth men and they will tour the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to Bnei Israel. The implication in Bamidbar is that God wants to give the land to the people, but they need to have a delegation to receive the land or possibly to um, have some sort of understanding of just how wonderful this land which is being given to the people. Whichever way, uh, this is a divine command. God wants to send the Muraglim in the book of Bamidbar. However, in this week's parasha, the story of the Muraglim is told um, radically differently. Um, there, um, in Devarim chapter 1, it says, and you all, the Moses is talking, Moshe says, you all came near, and you said, let us send men before us. And they will, they will dig up about the land. They will find intelligence information about the land. And particularly at Haderach Ashen Aleba, the route in which we will conquer the land. And the cities which we will confront. The implication being that the people instigate the delegation of the spies. And this is, a, of course, a pivotal difference between Bamidbar and Devarim, which needs to be addressed. Rashi, of course, uh, in his opening remarks to Sefer Bamidbar, says, well, actually, they're both true. And uh, the people came and asked, and God said, I think it's a bad idea, but if you want to, do it this way. Um, I'm not sure that Rashi's solution is the only possible way to read it. In fact, I'm quite sure there are other possibilities. But my point here is that this is not merely a review Things are reported and related in a new way. And when we see something told um, with new vocabulary, with new structure, with a new spin on the story, it becomes it, it becomes an entirely different story. Um, frequently we will have to look at the, at the accounts in Sefer Dvarim and the accounts earlier in the Torah and understand that what is critical is the way the story is is narrated. In other words, um, one can tell, one can narrate, one can relate a particular event in any number of ways. And the critical um, criteria is the form of presentation, is the narrative style. And therefore, we shouldn't imagine that what we're seeing in Devarim, even if it is a retelling of an early event is merely a repetition because it is not a repetition. Frequently and more often than not we are given an entirely new dimension to the story. We frequently will have to raise the question why were we given this dimension A early in the Torah and perspective B later in the Torah but we should always be looking for the added extra the particular new angle which Devarim has to offer us. And if we do that, we will find Devarim a riveting and exciting book. So to summarize my little introduction here of Devarim, um, this should not merely be seen as a uh, review of Torah or a repetition. If, it was, if that was the case, we could just go back and read it earlier on. No, 
Uh, first of all, there are many, many elements in this book which we've never heard about at all. And uh, we've never seen them earlier on in the Chumash, but even the things which we have heard seem to be told in an entirely new way, which give a, a fresh perspective on the story. And then we have to contrast the perspective from the vantage point of Sefer Dvarim with the perspective of the place where we originally heard the story and uh, compare and contrast and understand why HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted us to hear two stories or two vantage points on the same events and what we can learn from this dual storyline. So that's in regard to the notion of Mishneh Torah. But let me come back to my opening remarks. Um, Dvarim are Devarim isn't only a single speech, it is very clearly denoted as a series of speeches, and today we're going to deal with the first speech. The way we can work out when a speech begins and when a speech ends is very clear. We have a narrator, which who begins the parasha, These are the words that Moshe spoke to Bnei Israel. And at a certain point, the introduction ends, and we open quotation marks, and we hear Moshe speaking himself. In this case, this transpires in Pasuk Vav, where Moshe takes up the, the microphone, so to speak, and says, Hashem elokeinu diber eleinu God spoke to us at Chorev, saying, etc., etc. And if one can work out where Moshe is speaking in the first person, and where the narrator takes over in the third person, then we can understand where speeches begin and speech ends. I'm going to make life somewhat easy for us. Um, if I was in the classroom with a group of students with a Tanakh in hand, I would uh, tell them now to skim through Sefer Devarim and try and delineate the beginning and end of the speeches. But uh, I will simply relate the fact that what we read in Parshat Varim is uh, is really a speech which takes place over four chapters, from chapter 1, verse 6, through chapter 4, verse 40, is the opening speech. It's uh, like a four, four and a half chapter speech. And then this is followed basically from chapter 5 all the way to chapter 26 by a much longer speech. And as many people have pointed out, it would appear if you've got a four chapter speech followed by a um, 22 chapter speech it seems like the first is the prelude to the second we would describe our speech, the speech of Parshat to Devarim as an introduction and the second speech the very long one which takes the bulk of the book of Devarim the one which stretches from chapter 5 to chapter 26 is the main speech and this is a speech which uh, occupies itself with outlining the mitzvot, outlining the commands outlining the code of living in the land of Israel, the code of Jewish life. So, broadly, uh, we have um, one speech, which is from chapter 1 to 4. That's the introductory speech. And the second one is the, the mitzvah speech. After that, there is a whole series of shorter speeches, uh, which deal with the covenant, which deal with encouragement, which threaten the people, which... Uh, include Shirat Ta'azinu, the song which is meant to outline Jewish history 
So Devarim is not merely the speech of Moshe, it is a collection of Moshe's speeches, which are all told during the last 37 days of his life, and uh, are there to prepare the people to come into the land of Israel. So with all these words of introduction, um, we have to set sail into the first speech. But uh, I suddenly realized I did forget to say something else in my introduction. I made a difference between when Moshe is speaking in the first person and when there is a narrator. And I just need to make one comment about that. One should realize, and again, this is such a simple thing that we should all realize it, but so many people don't quite get it that I think it's, it bears uh, mentioning. Uh, the Ramban himself pays attention to this and says that one might have expected the Torah to have God speaking in the first person. One might expect the Torah to begin with Bereshit Barati et Hashamayim et Aretz. Um, in the beginning, I created the heaven and the earth. And uh, we might expect the Torah to begin with, uh, I don't know, not Vayomer Elohim or but Vaamarti or or something like that. Um, However, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, even though God is the author of the Torah, designed the Torah in such a way that it should appear that there is a third-party narrator, somebody who is telling the story, and God is actually a player. He is an actor within the story, within the narrative, such that we can talk about Bereshit bara Elohim et in the beginning, God created heaven and earth, as if God is one of the actors in the story. And uh, therefore, the role of the anonymous narrator, the role of the um, the anonymous voice, which tells the entire story, is a very, very firm feature of the whole of Torah. It's so so much there that many people don't even realize it. And that's exactly how Tavarim begins with a narrator, anonymous narrator, Ela Hadavarim Mashediber Moshe. These are the things that Moshe spoke to Kol Israel in the Midbar, in the Arava, Mulsuf, Ben Paran, Ben Tovel, Balavan, Bechatzerot, Bedizahab, a lot of introductory information, until Moshe actually begins to speak in Pasuk Vav, and we actually hear Moshe's voice. But this narrator is not something unique to Sefer Dvarim, it is actually a feature which begins from the very first verses, from the first word of the Torah, and... We should become aware of that. We should be aware of that. Okay, time is running away. And I would like to spend a bit of time talking about the first speech of Sefer Devarim. And the words that I'm going to, um, the ideas that I'm going to present in the upcoming minutes are actually not my own. They come from Shurim that I've heard many years ago in a course in Michlelet Herzog with uh, Rav Mordechai Sabato who is one of the fabulous teachers of Mikhail Herzog. Uh, many years ago I attended a class in Sefer Dvarim with him, and he outlined the shape of the first speech, and I'd like to share some of the ideas with him, of, his, of his with you. And let me again begin with a word of introduction. When we read through Sefer Dvarim, we frequently hear long speeches, and they appear almost as if they are rambling speeches, speeches without a particular direction. 
a collection of anecdotes and uh, events. But when one studies the Psukim carefully, one realizes that there is a very tight structure and a very clear and well-designed literary style to everything with a very focused goal. So let me try and explain. Chapter 1, two, and I, even if you don't have a Chumash in front of you, you should be able to follow. Um, I'll try and be as clear as I can be. Chapter 1, 2 and 3 of Sefer Dvarim give us some historical background. What is the purpose of the history? Why do we need a history lesson? I have to add that when we receive this historical review, the historical review seems to have major gaps in it. What I mean is that Moshe begins his whole speech at Mount Sinai, as he calls it, Chorev, Har Chorev, the dry mountain, the parched mountain. And he says, Hashem Elokeinu Diber Eleinu Bechorev Leimor, Rav Lachem Shevet Bahar Hazer. God spoke to us when we were at the mountain, saying, Enough of being at this mountain. Instead, Penu Asu Lachem Mori, go to Eretz Yisrael. Now what's fascinating, if this is meant to be a historical review, after all, we are in the 40th year of the Midbar, it could be that Moshe feels that he needs to educate the incipient, the younger generation, as to their history. Is What's fascinating are the things that are missed out, that are missed out of this speech, or this historical review. Nothing is mentioned, for example, of Yitziat Mitzrayim. Nothing is mentioned of Kriyat Yamsuf. Even here, we don't hear about Matan Torah. We will hear about Matan Torah in chapter 6, so maybe we can exclude that. But surely we should hear about the um, Ten Plagues, about the crossing of the Yamsuf. The, 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 the main thing we hear here is leaving Mount Sinai and then the story of the, of the spies. What about all the other things which transpired? What about the census of the nation? What about the setting up of the Mishkan? So many um, remarkable events that took place in the wilderness we don't hear about. And the question is one of selection. How did Moshe select the historical events to be included in his historical section? So I think the first thing to understand about this speech is, yes, it does have a historical tone to it, but... The question is, what is its purpose? And um, I think to understand its purpose, and then we will understand more about the selection, we have to turn to chapter 4. Chapter 4, Perak Dalad begins. After we've discussed all the history, it says, Va'ata Yisrael, and now Israel, Shema el ha-chukim ve'lamishpatitim, ashe'anochim ulamedetchem la'asot. Listen! to the statutes and to the judgments which I am going to teach you, in other words, the mitzvot. You will live and you will successfully come and conquer the land and live in the land which God has gave to your fathers or the God of your fathers is giving to you. He says more than that, Don't add anything don't take anything away, just keep the mitzvot. Now, 
This is not a command to keep a specific mitzvah. Um, in fact, when God wants to command us to keep a particular mitzvah, he says, and this is, uh, you can find a reference at the beginning of chapter 5, Shema Yisrael et hachukim etamishpatim. If you say Shema Yisrael et hachukim etamishpatim, that means Israel, listen to these upcoming mitzvot which I'm going to teach you. But that's not the language here. The language is not Shema et hachukim, but Shema el hachukim. In other words, not um, listen to these details about the mitzvot, but rather Shema el hachukim means um, take on the observance of these commandments. Commit yourselves to these commandments. What I'm saying is, is that the three first chapters of history are meant to lead us to a conclusion. And that conclusion is that one should observe mitzvot because mitzvot will be the key to our success in Eretz Yisrael, the key to the conquest and settlement of Eretz Yisrael, with a particular understanding that one must not add or take away from mitzvot. And the question is, how does the historical review teach us this lesson? And it's actually pretty simple. Let me try and explain. The historical review which Moshe gives us in chapter 1, 2 and 3 is very carefully um, selected. It's actually in two segments. The first segment is the story of the first and second year in the Midbar. That's chapter 1, which describes the first generation, or the first and second year in the Midbar, the first Midbar period. And chapter 2 and 3 describe the 40th year in the Midbar, the recent history. It is fascinating that each of these different historical periods begin with almost the identical phrase. And let me give you that phrase. Moshe begins his speech where God's, we are at Mount Sinai and God says, Hashem Rav lachem shevet Enough to sit at this mountain. Panu lachem um, Turn and travel. Panu lachem That was a quote from chapter 1, verse 6. Pasuk Aleph and Perak Aleph Pasuk Vav. But if you look at Perak Bet, you will see similar language. It says, uh, God said to me, saying, after we had been in Har Seir Yamim Rabim, after we had been wander- wandering around the Seir, the Edom area, for 40 years, before we had Rav Lachem Shevet Baharazeh, it is enough of you sitting by this mountain. In other words, we had been at Mount Sinai for a year and now we have to leave. In the Midbar, we had not just been sitting, but we had been wandering. So God says, Rav Lachem Sov Et enough of you to make circuits around Mount Seir. And like he said before, um, before we read, Pnu Usu Lachem now he says, Pnu Lachem Tzafona, Turn your, turn your face northwards. In other words, you have to go and approach the border of Eretz Israel another time. What I'm saying is that the beginning of chapter, the, the history of chapter 1, or I should say, the beginning of the history of year 1 and 2 of the Midbar, 
uses exactly the same phraseology as the beginning of the history of year 40. And what is this meant to tell us? Well, let's look at what we're told about year 1 or 2, year 1 and 2, and then a year 40. And I think this will be very informative. Um, the main topic of chapter 1 is the story of the Muraglim. Before that, we actually have a episode about Moshe's crisis of leadership. And along with Rav Sabato, I'm going to claim that this is uh, something in parentheses. In fact, it's introduced with a fr- with the phrase "va'omar alechem ba'etahi." Rav Sabato says that whenever we hear the phrase "ba'etahi," that is telling us that this is almost an aside. It is a parenthetical detail. And in fact, "ba'etahi" comes up three times in pasuk tet, in pasuk tet vav, in pasuk yudchet, indicating that this is something which needs to be said now. Um, but it's not really part of the main story. If you want to hear more about that particular episode, I actually uh, gave a podcast for the VBM for KMTT some years ago. If you look on the archives, you can find that uh, podcast. So what are we told? We're told two stories. The first story is the story of the Muraglim, the story of the spies, where God wanted us to go into Eretz Israel, and we got scared. We got scared and we decided that we weren't going to go in. It says, um, the people's reaction is, um, sorry, one second. The people, Baterak Nuba Alechem, they murmured in their tents, or I should say even earlier, the lot avitem la lot. You didn't want to go up. And you rebelled against God. And you murmured in your tent saying, God hates us. And that's why he took us out of Egypt to, take, to give us into the hands of the Emory to destroy us. Where are we going? We get the sense of fear. But the, the phrase here is, you didn't want to go up. And you rebelled. And what follows is obviously the punishment that they are not allowed to go in. But what's fascinating is, that the story does not end there. The story of year two does not end there because we then hear the story of the Ma'apilim. And what happens in verse 41 here is that the people answer and they say, Chatanu Lashem, we sinned. Anachu na'aleh, we will go up. Each person put on their battle dress. Fatahinu la we wanted to go up the mountain. And God says, Lotalu. Don't go up. I'm not with you. Because you'll get hurt. And it says, says Moshe, I begged you. You didn't listen. And again, Two cases which are described as You rebelled. But what is amazing about these two cases is that they are opposites. The first story is when God says, please go in, and we rebel and say, we don't want to go in. The second case, God says, don't go in, and we rebel because we want to go in. And in each case, we suffer uh, both uh, death and tremendous hardship as a result of this. So in other words, the paradigm which is set up by chapter 
one of Sefer Devarim is that there are two opposite situations. One is that uh, when God told us to go into Eretz Yisrael, we didn't want to. We vatamru, we rebelled. We refused to go in and we got punished. We wanted to do tshuva, so what did we do? We said, we will go in. And God said, no, 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 you can't. But vatamru, we rebelled and we tried to go up, but the Emory came up and killed us. This might be a little frustrating because uh, one doesn't quite know what to do. Does God want us to go in or not to go in? How do we know what? How do we know what? How we should act? Because when we wanted to go in, that was wrong, and when we didn't want to go in, that was wrong. I will return to this question in a second. When you look at the account in Pasuk Perak Bet and Gimel, it gives the account of the fortieth year, and to summarize very simply. We see here five different kingdoms. Five kingdoms who um, were hostile to B'nai Israel. What is amazing about these kingdoms is that three of them, God explicitly tells us, and the most significant thing here is that God says we are not allowed to fight them. The reason why we're not allowed to fight them is because they are mishpacha, they are family. The first one is Edom, B'nai Esav. He says, I gave Esau his land, you are not allowed to fight him. The second one is Moav, and the third one is Ammon. All of these, God says, they are your relatives. Moav and Ammon are the children of Lot. Edom is Esau, and therefore we are not allowed to fight any of them. And God says, don't fight them. If you do fight them, I will not help you. Um, the phrase here is, Al Moav, Do not besiege Moab, do not start a war with him I will not give you his land as an inheritance um, in other words I won't give, you, won't give you anything however in the next story we suddenly see that Bnei Israel are commanded to fight suddenly we get to Sichon and we get to Og and suddenly God says yes go for it you can fight them Go capture his land. Um, in the same with with Og, God deliberately encourages him. Do not be scared of the mighty Og. I've given, delivered him, his people, his land, etc., etc. And indeed, and uh, we find ourselves in a similarly confusing situation when we read the account of chapter 40. How do we know when to fight? How do we know when not to fight? Well, the answer is very simple. And here I will read the conclusion of the history. If you want to know what will be the secrets of coming in and being successful in conquering the land, listen to God's statutes and His command. Do not add anything, do not take anything away to keep the command of God absolutely as He commands you today. God sets up a historical review, or Moshe sets up a historical review here, which is very, very simple. He sets up the first mission of conquest of Eretz Canaan, which failed. 
It failed because the people did not listen to Moshe. God said, send the spies and go in. And in fact, the people refused to go in. And at the minute where God said, okay, you can't go in, they tried to go in. That was the failed mission. Now they are in the mission which is still pending. They're in the 40th year and the question is, the big question is, will this mission succeed? They still haven't stepped over the border. Things are looking so good. But Moshe wants to ensure that after his death, they will be successful. And therefore he looks at the mission of the first and second year and he says, you you don't know what to do. In other words, it's not up to you. You can't know what God wants. Sometimes when you want to, don't want to go in, God says go in. And sometimes when you do want to go in, God says don't. So what's the only thing you can do? Listen to God. The only thing you can do is listen carefully to God's instructions. And then you will have success. Likewise lies in the 40th year. We have five kingdoms. Three God says don't attack. Two God says do attack. And therefore, what is the conclusion of this historical review? If you want if you want to come and conquer the land, the only thing to do is to listen to God's commands. To listen If you want to make a success of this conquest of Canaan, there is only one conclusion, and that is follow God's instructions closely. Don't second guess, don't pretend or don't think that you know how to outsmart HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because the only way not to fall into the trap of the Maraglim and the Ma'apilim, the only way not to fall into the debacle of the first generation is to absolutely adhere to the commands of God and then the mission of the 40th year, the mission of their generation will be a success. That is the historical um message that Moshe gives in his opening to Sefer Devarim and we can fully understand why this is a perfect prelude to 22 chapters which outline mitzvot. What Moshe is trying to say is the secret to your success, the secret to your successful conquest of the land is to remain loyal to God's law and if you keep God's law faithfully he will worry about the rest. He will make sure that your national needs and your military needs are taken care of. We also understand now why certain things are missed out. Kriyat Yamsuf and the miracles of the Ten Plagues are relatively irrelevant to this message, because this is not about miracles and wonders. We know that God can do miracles and wonders, but it is more about the behavior of Am Yisrael, and the question of whether they feel they can go it alone, or whether they feel bound by God's instructions. And Moshe is trying to encourage them and he is trying to persuade them that the best way that they can move forward is by adhering to God's law and then their mission will be successful. Thank you very much and we will meet again Bezrad Hashem next week.